Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Building Up Good Books, my attempt at balancing my hatred for the literary world's worst offerings with some positive recommendations for what to read next that won't make you tear your hair out. So this month I read three books. Okay. Two of which I loved. One of which I was like, what the fuck is this? But I think it's good, but I'm not quite sure. So let's talk about them. My favorite of the three was The Liars by Petronella McGovern. So let me just read you the blurb. So it's a wife burning with resentment. We've all been there, right, Dal? A husband hiding the past. Oh, been there too. And their teenage daughter crusading for the truth. Who can we trust? The close-knit community of Kinton Bay is shocked when 15-year-old Sienna Britton makes a grisly discovery near a cave in the National Park. Sienna believes it's a skull from the town's violent colonial past and posts a video which hits the news headlines. But her parents, Mary and Rollo, think the skull is related to their teenage parties in the Killing Cave back in the 1990s and a schoolmate who went missing then. None of them foresees the dangers that the discovery will create for their family. The dangers of past deceits, silences, and lies that have never been resolved. The Liars is a heart-stopping cocktail of family secrets, sinister unsolved disappearances, and a community at war with itself. So what I loved about The Liars was that it was a captivating condemnation of Australia's whitewashed history, and just an exploration of the merits of vigilante justice in an expose of small town politics, all with a little bit of murder mystery thrown in. Like, who doesn't love a little bit of murder and disappearances in there? As the blurb mentions, when Sienna discovers a human skull in a national park, shit goes to hell. And this close-knit community of Kinton Bay just explodes with accusations, a whole lot of crimes going on, apparently. It was giving me home and away vibes, like this small little coastal town in Australia, which I can relate to. And like, everyone has a secret, everyone's lying. I was sort of loving the soap opera-ness of it all. And the discovery of the skull brings up this cold case of some of their missing people of Kinton Bay. And like, for a tiny little town, they've got a surprisingly high amount of people who have gone missing. Like, should that not be a red flag for the police? But it certainly is, eventually. <laughs> But what I loved about this book the most is that it confronts Australia's dark past. There's this whole subplot with the skull where the teenager, she believes it's evidence of a massacre of Aboriginal people committed by the town's founder. And it looks into how history is written by the victors 
and there's this Aboriginal elder who lives in town and she's been trying to let people know that this massacre happened. She's trying to get people to acknowledge it for decades and no one's listening to her because they rely on oral histories. And then this little white girl upstart, she's got the best intentions, but she's also taking up space and she's becoming the voice of the movement instead of stepping aside and letting the Aboriginal elder talk and, and lead that discussion. So, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. It's stuff that's been going on in Australia for years and it just really digs deep into that. And I really enjoyed that conversation. And so while that side of things was thought provoking, you've also got the murder mystery at heart, which you know I love. And what I particularly enjoyed was the mix of POV narration. We get a few different characters' perspectives throughout the novel, including, at times, the murderer. So I thought that was a really fun read. I finished it quite quickly because I was, I was hooked. So it was giving me Big Little Lies vibes, a bit of the dry, really good piece of Australian fiction that's just come out. So I would recommend The Liars by Petronella McGovern. The second one I read this past month was Framed by John M. Green. So this one, it's, it's like a crime heist to do with the art world. And it's like a mix of like Rear Window meets The Da Vinci Code, meets Underbelly, meets Antiques Roadshow. So the blurb says, when art conservator J.J. Jago, <laughs> terrible name, J.J. Jago, far out, spots a long lost masterpiece through the window of a luxury apartment, she's drawn into a dark web of intrigue, deception, and murder. JJ spies what she believes is a priceless Van Gogh, except it can't be that painting, Six Sunflowers, was destroyed during World War II. She also glimpses what looks like a Rembrandt, one stolen in the infamous 1990 robbery at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. JJ sets out on a mission to discover if these works are fakes or genuine, but when she gets in too deep, she is forced to seek help from her estranged father, a Sydney detective. From the pubs of Belfast to the boardrooms of Monte Carlo and the shores of Sydney Harbour, This gripping art heist thriller exposes a shadowy underworld where JJ crosses paths with a global organized crime empire in her pursuit to solve some of art history's biggest mysteries. So yeah, there's a whole lot going on there, but essentially, meek art conservator and Van Gogh superfan, she's house-sitting for her rich boss in this lovely little apartment with a yacht, and she's spying on your neighbors as you do, And she can see in the window of one of her neighbor's apartments that there's these two artworks. And she's like, well, I've got nothing else going on. Let me investigate, (laughs) which I kind of admire her for. And like, yeah, so maybe the premise is a little bit fantastical, but once it got going, I really got into it. And the protagonist, JJ Jago, she keeps referring to herself as like a Veronica Mars type. And it was really that kind of Veronica Mars vibe. And it was really interesting, even when the author goes in depth about like, art history and how to restore paintings, which should be fucking boring. (laughs) It actually wasn't. And the rest of the narrative like helped push that momentum along. So if you're into that kind of thing, I definitely suggest this book. That one was framed by John M. Green. And so the other one, okay. I just finished this the other day. It's called The Seaplane on Final Approach by Rebecca Ruckheiser. And oh, I'm still sort of turning it over in my mind whether I loved it or I hated it. Like reading it, it's clear that it's a really well-written book. The language is amazing. The imagery is super vivid. 
It's not like a schlocky, terrible book, but the content of it is so fucking weird that I just couldn't get on board with it fully. It's the kind of book that the pretentious girl at your high school would love. She'd build her whole personality around this book. But when you asked her, like, what did you like about it exactly? She'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's that kind of a book. So let, let me read the blurb and you tell me if you can make any more sense of it. And I've read the fucking thing. So, okay, here we go. Mira is a young woman gleefully building a theory of what constitutes sleaze. Why? I still don't know. Pursuing this obsession and a young fisherman, she deems the embodiment of all things deliciously sleazy, to a remote Alaskan island, she finds work as a baker in a lodge run by the indomitable Maureen and her gregarious husband, Stu. You know what? Neither of them seemed that indomitable or gregarious, but okay. So, but the lodge is failing and so is Maureen and Stu's marriage. As the summer wears on, Mira finds herself enmeshed in a wilderness of conflicted human desire. And as she nurses her erotic obsessions, the other employees at the lodge are making plans and taking steps that will tear apart the island's seeming paradise. Daring and psychologically razor sharp, the seaplane on final approach is a novel that illuminates the mirage-thin line between the artificial and the feral and leads its unsuspecting reader out into the devouring wilds. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) I was an unsuspecting reader. And like, I still think I liked it, but I don't know why anyone needs to create a definition of sleaze. And so all throughout the book, she's having these sorts of conversations with herself about like, what's the sexiest fruit to be an ingredient in a shampoo bottle? (laughs) And then she's talking about like how people with one syllable names are the sexiest because you can utter their name at the height of climax. Whereas if they've got multiple syllables, it'll sort of take away from the moment of climax. So she's saying she'd rather fuck a guy called Ed than Daniel Day-Lewis because when you're climaxing, you can't be like, ah, ah, Daniel Day-Lewis. And so like, I, I get that it's funny. Like I get that reading it, I could have been laughing along, but I was sort of laughing, but like internal laughing. Like it was funny, huh? Not funny, ha ha, you know? So like, I appreciate the humor, I guess, but I don't know. And like, also I said, the imagery is beautiful. It's written beautifully. But then she's talking about how she's masturbating, looking at the phone book, because this fisherman that she's obsessed with, his name's Ed, she finds his name in the phone book and just looking at his name written down on a piece of paper, like helps her come. And so I'm just like, why do I need to read this? So you know what? Maybe I do hate it, but I, I do recommend it if you want a bit of a mind fuck book like that. Yeah, I don't know. It might be up your alley. Something to think about. <laughs> so that one was The Seaplane on Final Approach. Also don't really get the title. Uh, but anyway, okay. So that's by Rebecca Rakaiza. So I've got Um, my full reviews of those three books up on the Breaking Down Bad Books website and also on my Goodreads, which I believe is goodreads.com slash breaking down bad books. So go have a look at those reviews there. And you can also see what else I'm reading at the moment. If you've got any other suggestions for what you've read, that's actually quite good over the past few months, always feel free to reach out at breaking down bad books on Instagram or at pod breaking down. Um, and you can also jump on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. We're just finishing up the Mazed Runner and then I'll be digging deep into Fifty Shades Freed. So that's all from me for this month. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.